You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi guys, welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest I'm super excited about. He's on a mission. His name is Andre Lee. He's a serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Numina. He has built new markets, business models, and platforms in Asia and North America, and has a deep background in finance, capital markets, technology commercialization, and intellectual property. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting not only Andre separately, but as well as his team, many people on his team. And they really are on a mission to change this whole gig economy, working with freelancers as opposed to against them. So I'm so excited that I get to interview you because you're changing the game and making a huge difference. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been great to meet you. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about the future of work and financing it. Yeah, yeah. So what's your backstory? I know you obviously did a lot of things in finance and capital markets, but how did you even build Numina? Like, how did you even come up with the idea of creating a community for freelancers? You know, really, it's just sort of ties together different threads that have happened during the course of my life and over a long period of time. So, you know, I had spent a number of years building a brand new marketplace in Asia, the Asian bond market didn't exist at the time. And I had this idea that, you know, Asians needed to be able to finance Asia and there was no market to do that. So I went and built one and, you know, you learn a lot doing that. Now, of course, I was in my 20s when I did that. And then I went on to working with some amazing people to try and build an invention and intellectual property marketplace. You know, was fortunate to have the opportunity to be part of building one of the earliest sort of market networks or marketplaces for talent, but we focused on inventors. You know, we went and built a network of over 10,000 inventors around the world who could solve problems that we thought were important solving, worth solving. They would submit their inventions and we would sort of pick the best ones and try and turn it into usable technology and valuable intellectual property that could be licensed to companies to build new businesses and new products with. That kind of gave me a very early education to what it was like to try and actually build a community, albeit this is back in 2007 and 2008. So, you know, a lot of the things, digital tools we have now, we didn't have back then. So there was a lot of in-person meetings and local presence. But nonetheless, we had a very large community. So I had that experience. And then I spent a number of years just working on commercializing different technologies and building different types of business models to support them. But always in the back of my mind, I think one of the things that I started seeing as I started working on a lot of technology commercialization projects from 2010 onwards was that the people that I was interacting with weren't full-time employees of companies. I got into this network where people would come in and out of the projects I was doing, and they were all kind of freelancers independent contractors. Back then, freelancers really weren't a word. People just called themselves independent contractors or they called themselves consultants, right? But in effect, they were freelancers. As each year progressed, I saw more and more of them and less full-time permanent employees. And it was just really clear that a major change was occurring and that this informal network of people that were coming in and out of different startup projects 
we're almost becoming like Hollywood movie production teams. You know how like you start a movie and a bunch of people come in, do different roles, and then the movie's finished and they disband, right? It was sort of the same thing started happening. And then when I would talk to some of them, I started realizing that, you know, a lot of these guys were really well-educated. You know, they went to some of the best universities. They had PhDs. I mean, they were really smart people. And they had all worked for Fortune 100 companies in the past. But because they became independent and had their own LLC or their own business, they suddenly found themselves not able to access the same amount of capital and credit that they used to be able to when they worked for a Fortune 100 company. But if anything, they were now actually a better person with better prospects, a bigger upside, but with less access. And that just didn't seem right. And then the more I sort of became acquainted with all the different types of people and roles that were doing freelancing, it just became pretty obvious that we were moving forward into a new era where digital technologies were accelerating a lot of trends to move people from full-time work to part-time to freelancing work. And the finance sort of bank market wasn't keeping up with it. And they were sort of through no fault of their own, becoming either ignored or getting shut off to traditional access to credit. So Numenor really was a response to that saying, okay, we got to fix this because if you don't have access to capital, it's pretty hard to have the opportunity to take risks that you can create wealth from. And if you can't create wealth, then you're probably going to have a lower quality of life. And my biggest concern, frankly, was just that my children and the generation after them were probably going to be fully involved in the future of work as independent contractors. They were probably going to have many different jobs, maybe multiple clients. And if they didn't have access to capital and credit, their quality of life might be less than mine. And that was kind of a scary uh, realization. (laughs) We had to fix that. (laughs) I can see like the trend, how like one thing kind of piggybacked into the other, which led to what you're doing now. And it's cool. Like what we talked a couple of weeks ago and all that, that you are really one of these people spearheading the issue because as we can see with the great resignation, like the future of work is changing rapidly from day to day, not even like year to year. It's every single day it's changing. So like, what do you think the future of work looks like? Can we all be freelancers or is there a mix? Like, how do you see the future going? You know, I can kind of argue it from almost two sides of the coin. There was one sort of sunny, optimistic side. And there's one more dour, sort of gloomy side. So maybe let me handle the sort of more gloomy side first, because there's nothing to suggest that it's a foregone conclusion either way, right? We don't know what it's going to be. But on the gloomy side, you know, I could make the argument saying, okay, digital technologies have benefited our lives a great deal. Imagine what the pandemic would have been like if you couldn't do takeout. (laughs) Imagine if everybody had to call the Chinese restaurant at the same time. It wouldn't work. Imagine if you couldn't get toothpaste and hairbrushes and clothes delivered to your home. Like It would have really been hard. So certainly advances in digital technology combined with new business models and entrepreneurial thinking has really transformed and changed and disrupted our lives for the better. But there's also, I think, a downside to that too. Because I think one of the things that's driving it is as computers become more powerful, as it becomes ever cheaper to do this computer processing and store data. And as networks become faster, it's going to become easier and easier for people to look at what were traditionally complex value chains of work 
and they'll be able to dissect it and segment them into little pieces. And each little piece, they'll be able to sort of figure out how to put it on a piece of software and have a business model and put it out there so that anybody in the world with those particular skills for those particular tasks can now bid on doing it. So that then leads companies who were the storehouses of this know-how that they would pay their people because they knew the end-to-end process. They knew that complex value chain from beginning to end. They now sort of say, well, I don't really need you anymore because I've taken the thing that you know and I've divided into 10 parts. And I can take part one and I can shop it to millions of people with less skills than you because all they need to know how to do is just that one thing. And so I get to put it out there now instead of paying you this amount of money, and I can, now I can put all those people out there in competition, drive down the price, and save myself a lot of money. It's not necessarily they're going to change the price to their customers. They're just going to earn a lot more margin, right? So the problem in that is it creates a race to the bottom because you commoditize work. And I think, in a sense, part of what we're seeing in the creator economy, like what you do, is really a response to that. Is sort of saying, you know, okay, I can create and I can build new things and I can find ways to monetize that, you know, make a living, right? And that's much harder for companies to encroach on and take over and lord over and commoditize, right? It's harder to do. But in a lot of their workflows with digital technologies, you can do that. So that kind of creates an environment where they're kind of just arming <laughs> the cause for people to move from full-time to part-time work because they're going to start letting a lot of people go. So what are you going to do? (laughs) And they can discover that they can get your talent right back and not have to pay the extra 20 to 30% in your benefits anymore either. (laughs) And instead of paying you an annual salary, they can just pay you for a specific thing for like three weeks. And then if they don't need you for another three weeks, they don't have to pay you, right? So in a sense... The downside, I think, to the future of work is we're blasting forward to the past. And kind of what I mean by that is if you look at the course of human history, and I was actually really surprised because I started looking at research in this, what I really discovered kind of surprised me, but I guess I shouldn't have been, that for most of human history, most of us were slaves or indentured servants, and none of us had any full-time jobs. (laughs) Full-time work, you know, that idea of go work for a company, stay there from the time you graduate college to the time you retire at 60, is really a phenomenon of the post-World War II industrial economy. It was only around for about 50 years out of, you know, hundreds of years. So if you look at the state of America, the majority of Americans, early 1900s, they were freelancing. Only a very small percentage actually had full-time jobs. But then if you look at 1974... Only 7% of Americans were freelancing. Everybody else had a full-time job. And then sort of 30, 40 years later, 35% of Americans are freelancing, right? So we're blasting forward back to the past, courtesy of digital technologies. So that's kind of, to me, the sort of gloomy outlook, the race to the bottom. We're becoming commoditized as a result. I think the upside is people like you. This sort of new wave of thinking around you harnessing the power of these digital tools to create. And there are many different ways you can create. And to harness that creative capacity and use digital tools to be able to distribute it efficiently 
in a way that you can kind of do what you do from your home. <laughs> you don't have to have this expensive amount of infrastructure and you don't need tons of employees. You know, you just have lots of little partners who are all creative too. And you create these alliances in these federations and these communities of people who can all do different parts of what you need to do to put your creation together. And you kind of work together collaboratively to do that, but you don't belong to the same company. I think it unleashes so many new possibilities as a result. So that's the positive side. That's where the future work might be headed. Yeah. And it's exciting to see how it's changing so rapidly in that so many people can partake in it. Can you maybe explain what a freelancer is just for people who are listening here, maybe like new to the whole creation like side of things? Who does that apply to in those categories? Is it like content creators, influencers, like who specifically kind of benefits from this? Yeah. So the term itself is an interesting term because I think it goes all the way back in medieval times to be, you know, those knights who basically offered their services to any lord that would pay them, right? And they go, okay, I'll go fight for you. <laughs> freelancer. I have a lance and I'm free, <laughs> right? And I think freelancer gets used interchangeably with a lot of terms and we shouldn't confuse that. And we can spend a lot of time disagreeing or agreeing on what really is the definition. But to me, it's really, it's a person who sets up a business by themselves and they sell their know-how and their services to multiple clients. So they don't have one employer, they have many, and they don't have long-term ties to any one employer, but often it's project or more short-term oriented. And really what they're doing is just they're trying to bring their know-how and their expertise to the table for a very specific project, for a very specific thing, and they get paid for it. And they have to take care of everything related to doing that. So freelancers, I think are kind of marked by the characteristics of they are the business, they are the product. They're the sales team. They're the admin team. They're the marketing team. They're the work team. They're the finance team. They have to play all roles that you would find in a company where you have dedicated people doing all that. It's like, okay, I do sales. I don't got to worry about finances. I don't got to worry about this and that because somebody else has got my back and they're dealing with that. When you're a freelancer, you have to worry about all those things. So I think they've been interchangeably called gig workers, freelancers, solopreneurs, influencers fit that mold, young entrepreneurs just starting out and trying to build an agency type of business. So I think all those categories and labels fit together in some way. They can describe sort of freelancers and maybe really, you know, from an ontology perspective on top of freelancers should just sit the word solopreneurs. Solopreneurs can capture influencers, freelancers, gig workers, and kind of capture different categories. What are some of the mistakes that new freelancers make? Like we talk about financing a lot. So like what's the difference between bootstrapping and financing or even like asking for help? So I think, you know, one of the common problems that we see with people who are just getting into freelancing and and, and the interesting thing is, you know, people get into freelancing at different points in their life journey. It's not necessarily true that they're all 20-something right? And then they start that way. Some of them are 50-something and they're starting that way. But it's almost, if you would, not so much a mistake, but just a set of experiences that they have. Like a lot of people will start off by saying, okay, I'm not quite, I think I really want to be my own boss. I think I know enough now that I can kind of do this, but I'm not quite sure. So I'm going to keep my day job and I'm going to moonlight on the side. 
and see if I can pick up enough work to supplement my income and see where that takes me. And, you know, more often than not, it kind of doesn't take you anywhere. You kind of spin in the wash cycle because it's like any business. If you want to do a business, you kind of have to be dedicated and committed. You kind of have to say, I'm going to do this. And you have to focus all your effort on doing that, right? Just like anything else. If you want to be excellent at it, you have to spend the time. And so if you're just sort of saying, well, I'm just going to spend a little bit of my time, then let's not all be surprised when the result is that it's, it's only a little bit good. <laughs> I see that a lot. And then the other thing that you see is in the early days of someone starting out as a freelancer that um, they haven't quite really realized that they are a business. They kind of just see themselves as someone who's putting themselves out there and doing some jobs and projects, some project work, but they don't, they don't think of themselves as a brand. They don't think of their knowledge and everything else as equity. And so they don't kind of treat themselves as a business, even though they're going out there and they're doing sales and they're doing that. They're kind of performing all the functions of a company, but they don't quite see it that way yet. And so when you do that, that sometimes can make it really hard to grow because you can get stuck in this way of thinking that this is just the way it's supposed to be as a freelancer. But it's not true. <laughs> you know, if you actually took a step back and said, okay, I am a business and I have a brand and it's me and I need to learn how to create capital around my brand and build up equity and my reputation with my clients and I need to become more efficient at finding ways to get clients. And if you started thinking that way, you could grow. <laughs> you can actually grow quite a lot and become very simple, right? And so when you talk about finance and the hard connection to it, you know, I think for us, when we think about this, we're kind of looking to work with freelancers who believe they are a business and they believe that a business needs capital to grow and they want to grow. And they believe that banks are either excluding them or ignoring them because of who they are and because they don't understand them. And they're tired of that and they want to fix that problem. And those are the types of people that, you know, we're hoping to bring on board into our community so that together we can fix those problems and make sure that they get the right kind of capital they need to grow their business at the right time, in the right amount, at the right terms, in a structure that actually is aligned to how they work rather than a structure that says, I don't care how you work. This is my structure. Either you fit in or you fit out, right? Which is kind of the way it's done today conventionally. What is financial capital? You know, there are pros and cons to obtaining capital. Like a huge thing that I hear from a lot of people and even from myself, I thought for a while was that if you're even lucky as a freelancer to get money from an investor, you lose control of your company or you lose control of the vision or something like that. Yeah, it's certainly possible if you set up a company and you bring in an investor and you sell them a lot of the equity and they get a board seat and they start telling you, okay, if you want to do certain things, you got to get my permission first. Well, that's, you could certainly end up in that situation. But for the most part, I don't think that that really happens because venture capitalists don't invest directly in individual freelancers. I mean, they wouldn't. They don't think of them as, oh, that's a billion dollar opportunity and then I can go list them because they, they can't. So they won't do it to begin with. But I hear what you're saying. I think that when you talk about what is financial capital, well, traditionally, I think for individuals, even for individuals who own their own company and like they're the sole proprietor or owner of an LLC, capital is frankly debt. We have to remember that debt 
really was the primary financial instrument that fueled the growth of the industrial economy. The problem is in the transition to the sort of digital economy or the attention economy or sharing economy, whatever you want to call this latest evolution of where we are, is that debt capital doesn't really align well to what's needed and how value is being created. Actually, equity capital aligns better. What's the difference? Well, the difference is debt is, okay, I lend you $1,000 and I charge you 10% interest and I say, okay, you know, within three years, you're going to pay me back and you're going to pay me 10% on $1,000 each and every year. And then at the end, you're going to pay me back $1,000, right? So you owe me money and you have to pay it. And there's a fixed amount you're going to pay every month and it doesn't change. And I don't really care if your business is doing well or doing bad. That's what you owe me. (laughs) So go figure it out. And if you don't earn money that month, tough luck. Go borrow it from your mom or your dad. But, you know, give that money to me, right? (laughs) Because if you don't, I'm going to send someone after you to collect that money. And, you know, and all that ugliness that happens. Equity capital is more about I'm aligned with you. I'm sharing in the upside growth that you'll have. So I'll invest $1,000 into you and you don't have to pay me back that $1,000. There's no contractual obligation for you to pay me back that $1,000. Instead, there's a contractual obligation that I'll share in the profits you create because I'm an investor. And so if I invest in 10% of your business, then I should share in 10% of the profits you create, right? And so my expectation is that By giving you that capital, you're going to use that well to invest in your own business so that you can grow and produce profits. And every year you're going to produce better profits and I'm going to get 10% of that. So at the end, I get way back more than $1,000. I get like $10,000 back. But it could also be that you didn't do anything. (laughs) Everything went wrong and you never make any profits, and I never see anything from that $1,000 investment. I take the risk. So it's a question of where does the risk lie, what is the alignment, and what is the expectation of the outcome? And I suspect in the gig economy, digital economy, influencer, creative, solopreneur, and that sort of space, what we sorely need is a new currency called equity that people like you can tap into to grow your business because it's lower risk for you and it gives you so much more flexibility. Because imagine if you, Gabby, could go out and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell shares of myself. I'm going to go and sell a million shares of myself. Those million shares, I'm going to raise a million dollars. And I'm going to invest that million dollars in growing my business that I have. I can't do it all, but now I've got all this equity I've got capital and I have equity. So I can actually combine my capital and my equity and I can create partnerships with other influencers or other creatives to like be part of their network, be part of their audience. And I can grow my audience even faster that way because I can trade my equity for them to agree to give me access to their followers, for example. So you might turn around and say, okay, you have a million followers and some other guy has 10 million and you want to grow You can say to that guy, hey, look, I'll give you a thousand of my shares. In return, you'll let me do these things with your followers. And that guy's basically saying, hmm, that makes sense. I'm going to invest in Gabi and add her to my network and grow. And together, we're going to grow our audience even larger. Of course, you can do that just as a one-off deal. But, I mean, you'd have to negotiate everything. It's complicated, so, yeah, you look, companies use equity all the time to acquire other companies, to 
create partnerships and joint ventures and all those sorts of things. It's just a fantastic tool when you're trying to grow your business. We don't have that today. We need to build those kinds of solutions. Yeah. So how do freelancers even get capital then, right? Because we're talking about how banks don't even give us the time of day, especially if we don't have W-2 income or consistent paychecks. So how does Numina actually get our business in front of investors or just like getting that process going, right? Actually making it possible. So I think what you just said is entirely right. And I think you used exactly the right words, which is getting the process going. <laughs> we're still at an early stage of our journey, so I'm not going to make any claim that we're just supplying you know, millions of freelancers with capital because we're not, right? We're in an early stage. And I think for us, what we see as being really super important is becoming excellent at learning the stories of our freelance members in our community because our job is to be able to take those stories and translate and package them well to providers of capital so they can actually understand what that risk is in the language they understand. So the one thing we know how to do really well is we know how to speak to them in a language that they understand. Freelancers don't know how to speak to them in their language. So you have two ships passing in the night and more than likely what you get is, yeah, we're not giving you any money. So we really sort of stand as that facilitator and translator of your story to make sure that, you know, banks and finance companies and other investors understand it in their terms and understand where to fit you in their portfolio and what to expect in terms of risk and returns and be able to offer a platform where they can kind of plug and play their balance sheet into and gain access to an audience large enough for them to build meaningful portfolios that matter to them and can move the needles for them. I mean, that's that's what you have to do. It comes down to the story. You know, what do I mean by the story? Well, the story consists of some people call it your identity capital. Some people call it your social capital. But, you know, it's all those things like all the different experiences you've had in different jobs and projects, the network you have, your skills, your credentials, where you went to school, a bunch of different factors and elements from the journey you've taken and been taking to be able to gather that almost like a bunch of dots. And we have to connect all those dots. And the more dots we have, the more accurate we can connect them into an accurate picture. And we can understand what picture we actually need to show a lender or an investor that they want to see. <laughs> so it's never a case of saying, okay, we're just going to give the lender all your dots. No, we're never going to do that. That'd be a huge invasion of your privacy. And I think one of the things for us in our community, it's super important that if you come onto our community and share your stories with us, that belongs to you. That's your property, not ours. You're just giving us a right to help you by using that, but you own it. So we're never going to turn that over wholesale and just say, okay, please take it and go. We're going to carefully curate it and organize it in a way so that it speaks well and puts you in the best possible position to access the right kind of capital at the best price. That's our job. That's what we have to become excellent at doing. But in order for that to happen, we need the members of our community to kind of do their job, which is to tell us their stories. And what we're trying to do is just kind of build the right tools that members can use and kind of use very naturally and natively and just do those things, knowing that when they do those things, they're building up their story. They're building up their identity and social capital that's going to help them unlock more doors to accessing more capital. Because if you think about it, Gabby, if you have a certain type of social capital, if your social capital was very expansive and deep, 
it's a lot easier for you to raise financial capital because it's a lot easier for people to believe who you are and understand where you're going. And if you get access to more financial capital, it's easier to grow your social capital even more. You know, you might not be able to meet some famous celebrity, for example, but if you gathered enough financial capital, you might be able to meet that celebrity. And by meeting that celebrity, now your social capital has gone up and now you can get more financial capital, right? There's a very close relationship between social capital or your sort of social identity capital and your ability to access financial capital. They are very closely related. One impacts the other. And if you sort of think it that way and kind of manage it that way, you can create this effect where you can grow both as a result of growing the other, and it sort of takes its own life. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing that up because as like most banking institutions, you kind of like fill out a form and they're either approve you or they don't. Whereas you and the team, and even like I spoke with Arbil about like financing and stuff, like you guys do a really good job of actually kind of understanding who the person who's obtaining the funding is and like their actual full story as opposed to just, hey, give me the numbers. Like you actually take a personal account into this versus just, again, a numbers game. And, and you have to. And, you know, if you think about it, it's not altogether that different. I mean, like Wall Street, for example, they have a bunch of analysts and bankers that go out and talk to a company and they kind of do the same thing. It's not just about knowing the numbers of the company. You got to understand the story, who their competitors are, what their products are, who's competing against them. How is that journey playing itself out, right? Because if you understand all those things, you can create informed views about where you think the company is going, And you can decide if you want to invest in equity or you want to lend in debt, but you can kind of decide those things and you can kind of price it. But in the absence of that, if you just had the numbers, it would be much harder to do because you don't know where they're going. And I think the thing with debt and consumer debt and everything else, it's really much more about the past and looking at, did you pay your phone bill on time? Did you pay your cable bill on time? Have you done it 20 times, right? And they give you a snapshot of that. And then on the basis of that, you're supposed to make some sort of decision about what Gabby's going to do in the next five years. That's pretty hard to do. And so with freelancers not having necessarily confirmed steady income where their income may fluctuate from one month to another, banks will look at that and say, well, I don't want any part of that, (laughs) right? That's just too risky for me because I don't know why these fluctuations are taking place. And so I can't look at that and create a predictive model of where I think that's going to go based on these simple numbers that I got about how much you've earned over the last six months. So I'm just going to say no. So if you really want to say yes, you've got to know the story and got to know the trajectory of, you know, where are they going? Do they have the experiences, capital, network, and everything else to pull it off? Yeah. But I'm glad, again, you brought that up because... Like you had talked about prior, a lot of people who are doing freelancers or content creators or influencers don't see themselves in that light of it actually being a business, which is a fault from the beginning. Like you have to acknowledge the fact that you're building a brand and that's kind of how everything else falls into place versus just like some person who's having a a fun time doing a cute hobby. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And, you know, I'm sure you appreciate this greatly. It's not easy to build a brand. It's not at all. (laughs) And not everybody is equipped natively with an intuitive understanding of how to do it. So, you know, you need partners. You need people who are actually expert in building brands. So if you want to partner with someone who's an expert in building brand to help you build your brand, how are you going to pay them and reward them? 
So now imagine that you had access to financial capital of the sort of sort that's more equity-oriented, where you could use that equity to reward your partner so that your partner is invested in you too. So that brand expert who's helping you kind of looks at it as, hey, if Gabby does well, I do well too, (laughs) right? I got a piece of it too. And now you have the mechanism where you can both come to the same page and kind of get aligned in the same direction, and you're both kind of taking that risk, right? And you can get the help you want um, without having to pay a ton of cash out that you really should be conserving for other things to build your business. I think that's the point, right? It's it's not just brand. You got to do that with sales. You got to do that with finance. You got to do that with admin. I mean, there's a bunch of different things you got to do because you are a company onto yourself right now. But if you can bring in others to help you in a way that's cost-effective for you because you're all aligned to a successful outcome, then that's what I think will really make this work well. Yeah. I love that you brought up kind of bringing other people on board and the way of building this dream. But what are the other things that Numina does? Because I know, you know, there's one thing to get financial capital and then there's another to actually know what it is you're doing, right? From a marketing perspective or sales or all of this stuff. And I know that you guys are bringing on, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have like a white glove service that's coming soon. So like, What other aspects do you help freelancers from every perspective? Like, what do you have available? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been experimenting with different ways that we can help members sort of understand how to grow themselves as a business. One of the things that I think we've kind of discovered is that, yes, you're right. So people are sort of saying to us, yes, I need capital. But more importantly, I need someone to help me figure out, like, where I'm supposed to actually go with all this capital and how to do it, right? Like, how to dress myself up. And kind of what that closet is supposed to look like so I can continue. And to that end, we we just had a number of experiences where we were just turned out that we just actually started helping people do that. And we realized that we just can't continue doing this forever because then, you know, we're just at some point we also have to pay for the lights and everything else. So what we thought we could do is at least start by experimenting with a white glove service where we kind of become we become your starter CFO. So you're the CEO because you own the business and you are the business. We want to be your partner and have you think of us as your CFO. Therefore, help you create the strategy you need to position yourself and structure your business the best way so that it's easy to go out and continuously try to raise capital and you know how to think about managing that capital. So, and if you can take it to a certain point where you're successful enough that you want to start hiring more people full-time to do those sorts of things, then we've done our job. We should exit. (laughs) At that point, you're going to have a CFO and you're going to need that person full-time. You don't need us anymore. We've done our job. We helped you get there, right? And I think that's kind of our mission, help you get there so that you can turn around and actually hire all these people full-time because at that point, well, you're going to be earning millions. That's why you're doing it. That's the goal. That's the goal. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what we'd like to try and do. And then hopefully we can figure out along the way enough about how we're doing that, that maybe we can take some of those pieces of those things and transcribe them into software and to grow our community with experts and other areas so that we can kind of, at a much lower price point, roll it out to many more people so everyone can get the opportunity to get that benefit, not just financial capital, but the other side, the strategic sort of advisory. Yeah. Well, your app is super helpful about that. Like, I love how there's so many different 
pools, if you will, or groups that pertain to different aspects. Like, and you can create your own too. Like I have a whole podcasting group now with like 11 people when we talk about podcasting. Like it's great when you get to connect with people who are like in the same place as you, because it's so hard to find people who are in the same struggle. Yeah. Well, we're busy working on building new features. You know, the way we kind of look at it is, hey, the work that you do, we are on your team. (laughs) We need to learn how to generate the trust that you believe that. That's our job. But let's assume for some second we can do that. We're building sort of tools and features into our platform that we hope will allow our members to take much more control over what they do, automate, create much more efficiency around an operating system where, you know, they have access to all kinds of different tools that they can use to do their actual business, invoicing and contracting and creating proposals, payments, being able to sign contracts and find, you know, other freelancers who can help them do work and keep track and manage all those things, right? So that, you know, you can actually do your work. And our whole view of that is that by doing that, it's a super way for us to start really learning more about you, but also starting to understand what kinds of things are you doing that are actually financeable that maybe you never thought were financeable, right? You may have never thought, well, gee, you know, somebody might actually invest in this project that I'm doing, and there's a completely different way of now doing this. Or I can do actually do more projects because I can get financing for this, and I can rely on that financing so I can have more confidence. And that kind of gives us the visibility to sort of say, yep, we could do that. Now you can do this sort of work and we're going to come in and we're going to give you a cash advance on this. You don't need to wait two or three months for that guy to pay you um, anymore. You know, it's on a steady basis. We'll just start, you know, feeding you in advance the value of those contracts. And then you can have that confidence to say, okay, I've got that in place now and I can go build another new revenue stream doing something else, right? And then that that I think could be super helpful to, to our oh. members. For sure, for sure. As we all have felt in the freelance community, it's great to close a client, but it's another thing to actually get paid by the client. So having a tool like that would be so great, honestly. Like it puts ease in the back of your mind of like, oh, I I could pay my bills. Like that's cool. (laughs) And, And by doing those types of things and sort of being on your side, what you can kind of gain from that experience is now you've got a team of people behind you too. Not just you collecting that money. You've got everyone at Numina behind you helping you to collect that money. So, I mean, hopefully you never get into ugly situations with clients, but it can happen from time to time. It's always nice to know that somebody's got your back and is going to help you figure out how to collect that money so you're not on your own, right? Because clients can take advantage of you, especially more sophisticated ones say, okay, he doesn't know anything. (laughs) I'm just not going to pay him because eventually he's going to get tired and he's going to go away. But if Numina is on your team, that's actually not going to (laughs) happen. I think we can stand with as much sophistication as any other company, right? And we know what to do. Those are ways in which we can help our members. Yeah. And I can see it too with all the people that I've spoken to at the company, how passionate you guys are about this. Like you really want it to work for the future of work and all these people who are going this direction of building their own businesses. And finally, it's almost seeming like it's possible because for a while it didn't seem like it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I look, this is something that's kind of really coming out into the open at this point. I mean, it's really hard because governments don't really track who's a freelancer or not. They use very traditional measurements. It's kind of tough to figure out, well, how many of them are there out there in the world, right? And I've seen estimates range from, you know, 150 million to a billion, you know, and it's such a wide range because actually no one really knows the answer because governments aren't 
tracking it. <laughs> but all this is just coming about in the last really 10 years. I think 10 years from now, the landscape will look completely different. There'll be lots of companies out there offering different services and tools to freelancers. The ecosystems will be much more vibrant and dynamic and deep. And the data around what's actually happening, which will help freelancers understand how to benchmark themselves and their performance, I think will not only be more plentiful, but will be much more accurate than what we have today. So it's exciting because all these things I think are to come. Yeah. It's developing very quickly. So I can only imagine what the world's going to look like. It's going to be crazy in a great way, in a great way. I'm very excited for my little brother who's like 10 years younger than me, who's getting into this. I'm like, you have no idea. It's going to be so great for you. So great. What And what area of work is he getting into? He's still figuring it out, but he's been getting on TikTok, right? Because that's what everyone does who's young. And he has a pretty huge following, you know, so he's trying to figure out how to monetize that while he has his job and all that stuff. But it's cool because now, you know, like products like Numina and all these resources online, it's like you actually have connections to people and understanding of what you can do with this, right? There's so much potential. I think, you know, this sort of arena of digitally-based creators such as yourselves and influencers is is really a fascinating area. There's so much that can be done in terms of building new financial solutions that can help that sector grow and stabilize and do all those things. We haven't even really even touched the surface yet, right? And certainly, we're thinking a lot about different solutions that could be deployed to provide equity capital to influencers, So they have a new instrument by which they can grow their followers by swapping their equity and, you know, building these federations of different influencers who are coming together for different reasons and also professional providers helping them get there. But we're certainly not the only ones. I mean, I know there are others out there that are also thinking about this and trying to bring new solutions to the market. So, yeah, I think it's an exciting time. You know, right now it's kind of tough for influencers because there's really a lack of financing and avenues to financing are very fixed. It's kind of like, oh, okay, it's yet another credit card. I got the 30th credit card, you know, invitation in the mail, <laughs> That's right? That's literally me right now. <laughs> and, you know, somebody else wants me to open a bank account. Why do I need another bank account, right? You know, a lot of what you see in fintech is let's just take this tired, old, irrelevant infrastructure and slap a UI over it, put it into a browser and say, hey, it's digital now. (laughs) Don't you want one? That doesn't address the problem. The problems that need to be addressed are actually harder to address, take a lot of commitment and patience to work through them because that's what's going to create real change. That is what will really change the face of banking, investment banking, capital markets. And, and, you know, the, the developments that you're seeing happen in crypto, for example, are exciting in that regard, right? Because in a way, you see this sort of very organic, viral, socialized way of financing that's you know starting to come into the mainstream. And the sort of older ranks of the industrial economy and the banking infrastructure kind of looking at it and saying, I don't really know what to do with this. And it just may turn out that, well, that's right. You're, not, you're actually going to get displaced by it. Yeah. But either way, it's scary. But like you had said, it's exciting. There's so much opportunity, whether you're on the freelance side or even on the kind of investment banking type of side for both people to benefit. So we just need to figure it out. But I'm glad that you guys are doing it because we need it. Trying to do it. We're trying yeah. to do it. <laughs> oh, no, you guys are going to do it. I have faith. I love the app so far. And I, like I said, I've gotten to know your team pretty well. And it's very clear that you guys really care about what you're doing. And 
from what I've even done with my own business, when people are value-based and purpose-driven, that's when things actually happen. Like that's when the magic actually happens. And so I'm excited. I'm really excited for this, honestly. It's going to be great. But even in your own business, when you think about some of your experiences with banks and getting credit, I mean, how does that been for you? Because I mean, you must. (laughs) It's not, they're like, that's cute. But like, where's your job? And I'm like, but this is my job. And they're like, yeah, I don't think, no, sorry. Do you ever get banks telling you, hey, that's great. Why don't you do it for three years and get audited, you know, sort of bank account statements to me? And then I'll, then we should be able to do something with, do they run that line by you? I haven't even gotten to that point yet because no one would give me the time of day, which is even for that, like by the time you do three years of freelancing, you probably run out of money. Not even saying that, but like you could go under, like it's not a long-term solution. You know, it, it doesn't work for most people. Yeah, you know, a fundamental truth, I think, of a business is a business needs capital to grow. Yep. Right? And capital is some sort of money that you can use to leverage and invest and do things and buy things and invest in things. And so if freelancers can't get access to capital, they can't grow. The sort of experience that you've had. Yeah, we've we've heard a lot of similar stories from other freelancers. The one that always resonates is... People tell us, yeah, you know, when I worked at such and such a company, I had my account with such and such a bank. I had a mortgage. And then I went in the bank the other day, now that I've been kind of freelancing for two years, to refinance it. And they won't refinance me because somehow now I'm a different person, right? It's the same bank. I've had my mortgage with them for five or six years. And I want to get refinanced. And they're basically telling me, hey, come back in two or three years when you have audited financial statements. And maybe we can do something for you then. So even like owning a house is hard if you're a freelancer. You know, just borrowing the money to to buy a house is hard. Anything, even getting a car loan, like anything. Now opening up a credit card, difficult. It's so difficult. And that's just not a good situation for society at large when millions and millions of people are moving to become freelancers that can't capture credit because... The notion of the American dream of being able to have own your own assets and build your wealth isn't coming true for a lot of people. And that has to be fixed in a meaningful way. Taking an old thing and slapping a digital interface over it and saying, there you are, that's not going to cut it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But here you guys are. So, you know, I'm wondering just for people who are listening, especially I have a lot of younger listeners who are just starting out or maybe they just quit and they're trying to figure this out. Do you have any advice for them? Like maybe advice you would tell your younger self if given the chance so that they can kind of, I don't want to say do things right, but maybe do things better than you would have or even better than you've seen other freelancers kind of roll out their projects or ideas. I think the thing that I would say is it's super important to try and discover what it is about yourself that always seems to manifest itself as a motivation to do what you're doing. And whatever that thing is, tap into it really deeply and understand it and build that and make that the best you can. So like in my case, it took me a while to understand that kind of all these different things I've done in my life were always about trying to figure out a way to level the playing field for the smaller guy. Like I never really thought about it that way. It's like, okay, go build an Asian bond market for all these disadvantaged Asian companies who can't get access to credit and capital because everyone thinks they're crap, right? They're not good enough, right? So build a market where you can tell those stories so they can get that chance. 
or you know, building a network of inventors. Inventors have brilliant ideas, but they get screwed over a lot, right? So build a business that you know is championing the inventor and saying, no, you know, we're going to try and help you make the most out of your inventions, and we're on your side, right? And we know how to play that game. I realized, you know, I was always kind of doing and building businesses in that vein. So my, maybe in the popular terminology, it's like, what's your superpower? Like, what's that thing that really drives you? And so one piece of advice that I would give is like, from a very early stage, that will start to come out. Whatever that thing is, you can probably become really excellent at it if you just really focus on realizing that that's what it is and cultivate it, build a brand around it, establish a reputation and kind of really try and just cultivate and grow that because the money will come. It may only sprinkle in the beginning, but you will have rainstorms later if you just keep at it. Don't give up. Yeah, I agree. It's fun when the rainstorms come, though. You're like, oh, my God, it's finally happening. <laughs> finally happening, yeah. It will happen. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I'm glad that people finally got to know, like, what's going on in the world, what options they have available, and kind of, like, all the amazing things that Newman is doing, because you guys are doing great. How can people get in touch with you or the team if they want to explore financing or check out options or even download the app? Yeah. I mean, download the app, you know, go to numina.pro, or just go to the App Store and, you know, for Android or Apple, download it. Just tell us what your name is and what your email address is, and you're kind of in. We do check everyone just to kind of make sure that we're only accepting people who are, you know, sort of solopreneurs and or young entrepreneurs or freelancers, right? Um, but that check is a very fast, quick check. And then once that's done, you're in. And, um, and we look really forward to working with you and learning about what your needs are and what your story is and trying to figure it out with you so that we can do our part to get you there. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for doing the work that you do because it's, as we talked about, it's needed. So thank you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great talk. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.